Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Lisa Albin. She is a Feng Shui master and a quantum energy alignment practitioner. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm a big fan. Thank you for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey and what you do. I'm proud and honored to have you here and welcome you to the Empowerography community. Thank you so much. So let's jump right in. Lisa, as I mentioned, you're a Feng Shui master and a quantum energy alignment practitioner. Now, I have no idea what a quantum energy alignment practitioner is. I'm going to assume it's tied into your work as a Feng Shui master. Can you explain what that is for those of us that don't know? Yes. You probably don't know what a quantum energy alignment practitioner is because it is a term that I coined for myself. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Although I will tell you that if anyone listening out there, if you recognize quantum energy, if you are a healer, if you work with the modalities of acupuncture or Reiki, or you understand the core energies of a person, you recognize the importance of frequency alignment and every energetic life force or chi optimally vibrating at the correct frequency to help you feel holistically well, then you might be a quantum energy (laughs) (laughs) alignment practitioner. It is a term that I came up with for myself after lots of meditation, deep meditation. I do practice shamanic journeying in terms of using drum beats and sound. Okay. And that is what resonates the best with me and who I am and who I evolved to be today. Now, I know that Feng Shui on a basic level is the arranging of pieces in a living or working space to create balance within the natural world. I'm sure there is much, much more to it than that. (laughs) Can you give us a brief overview of the principles of Feng Shui and, and what is it in a little more detail? Yes. So Feng Shui is, if you try to Google it or you go on Pinterest and you start trying to research Feng Shui, you might start to get really overwhelmed. There are actually several schools and growing of Feng Shui. So the type of school that I practice or the two schools of thought that I focus on the most are the oldest school, which is called Landform Feng Shui. Okay. That is the oldest school originating in South China. And that is the most ancient and it goes back to trying to find the best place to create cities and towns, places to dwell, looking at the topography of the landscape. to find a place that is most protective and resourceful. Now that's at the very, very ancient roots um, before there's really very much a language. And to that point, it's very much a language in itself. So it's like applying a word to something that we all have within us. (laughs) If that just blew your mind. So (laughs) that is the one school of thought. And I do a lot of workshops and I am an educator as well. So I do teach this in my school. Okay. So that is one school of practice that I use. I'm also a BTB, which is black sept Tibetan Buddhist practitioner. Now that is the more, yes, (laughs) (laughs) it, it is as awesome as it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) It is a more Westernized view of feng shui because it promotes the spreading of feng shui you know, near, far, and wide. It's not just for the emperors. It's not just for the high class in China. It, it was an underground movement that spread West by my grandmaster, Professor Lin Yun, who has since passed away. 
and I was trained under one of his direct masters, James J. Okay. His lovely wife, Helen. So to that point, those are just two schools of thought. Now, Black Tibetan Buddhist feng shui appeals the most to me because it harmonizes the most with my natural abilities, which are very intuitive. I've always worked a lot with my intuition, my intention, the sensing of energy. I'm a high sensing individual. That is how I grew up sensing the world. And when I found out there was a name for it (laughs) and something I could actually deep dive, study a little bit more to fine tune and hone what comes very naturally to me, it was like, aha, like this is it. I don't discount the other schools of thought. When I very first started learning book-wise about feng shui, it was the classical study of feng shui and taking into consideration the symbolism, the Chinese symbolism in particular, the Chinese astrology. And that felt very, very complex to me Okay, and a little bit disconnected from who I was, but it does work. And it is a very powerful school of thought and practice. I don't knock people if that's their preference to do that. I choose to what feels more comfortable and easier for me to integrate into my lifestyle. Right. So we all recognize the importance of nature. And I want to start off by saying that feng shui is not a religion. You can be any religion and come from any background to be able to practice feng shui. And most people do it without even realizing it. That's part of their life. Oh, okay. Yes. So Hmm. there's five earthly elements that we work with. Primarily within my school, we are always looking at the elements of fire, Uh earth, metal, water, and wood. Okay. Now these elements in nature, they coexist harmoniously. Right. And it is through learning the interactions of these elements in nature that developed the practices at the root of feng shui. So we know that life can't always be the same. We can't wake up every day. I mean, I know sometimes we feel like we're on Groundhog Day, but (laughs) life, life will always have its adversities and its ups and downs, but it's how we navigate through these different changes. Change is one thing you'll hear in all schools of thought. If you can think of that Tai Chi symbol, that beautiful black and white symbol that you see sometimes in motion. One thing at the heart of all of feng shui is the belief that, you know, there's always change. (laughs) That's the only constant. Yes, absolutely. And adversity, we can learn a lot from adversity, but we can't erase it <laughs> No, because it's what shapes us into who we are in this journey. That's right. And each of these five earthly elements through the thousands of years of research and examination, man has learned this interrelationship between themselves, these earthly elements and the universe or environment surrounding So I like to refer to that as cosmic energy, but a lot of people just like to think of it as an environmental science, if that resonates better with you, right? that interrelates with mankind. And we take that interrelationship indoors into our environment. Now in the Western world, feng shui isn't always used. I I think it's becoming a more widely used term now, especially since the pandemic has hit, because I think the Google rankings have gone way up on feng shui. (laughs) (laughs) I know mine have. People are more aware that, hey, you know what? (laughs) There's something to this. Something is impacting the way that I'm either more successful or less successful or happier or feeling lower. And it has to do with my connection to my space. Now, so the way I speak is a lot more modern than traditional. That's kind of, you know, I, I honor and highly regard the ancient, but, you know, I prefer to recognize and in my line and school of thought with BTB Feng Shui, we recognize the advancement of modern technologies and aesthetics and building. And also we take into consideration electromagnetic fields Okay. And how that impacts us as well. You'll hear architects often talk about feng shui and yeah. bringing the outdoors indoors. And sometimes they use different words for it. Okay. <laughs> so feng shui is a combination of words meaning wind and water. Okay. So it's, I did not know that. There we go. <laughs> it, that's how it translates in, in Chinese. Right. 
So wind being feng and shui meaning water. Feng being wind is something that sometimes we can't see, but we can feel it. It's the unseen oftentimes. Sometimes we only know it's there because we can see its impact on other things, right? So maybe it's carrying leaves or a feather or blowing our hair in the breeze and we can feel it. Yeah. Shui being water, the words that come to mind are, are flow and meandering or rushing or stagnant. Shui is something more that we can see, but it's also a way that we can describe, and I just said it with my words there, but flow is something we talk a lot about in feng shui in terms of sensing energy and directing and manipulating energy to be most nurturing of a space and its occupants. Wow, that's that's a lot. (laughs) That was a lot. So you asked me to open the can of worms. Yeah, I, that's okay. I will say that, you know, my certification course is, is 43 hours minimum. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But, and I'm forever a student. Yeah, um, well, we all are, right? Yes, I, I'm a reluctant feng shui master. I really fought <laughs> referring to myself as a feng shui master for so long because I am a forever student and really honoring and meditating on, you know, how do I stand out in this world? What is, how do I authentically feel in shamanism as a part of my practice? When you hear something several times, it's something to pay attention to. And And through the course of training dozens and mentoring dozens of students into becoming thriving professionals and their reference to me as master or teacher, or then I said, you know what, I I am a feng shui master. This is a lineage that I'm honoring my teachers and I can still be a forever student and practitioner. But yes, I think many of us, we may mainly call ourselves practitioners in, in a room and especially within our guild. Right. Yes. So it's really quite amazing. The lack of visibility to the feng shui practitioners is due to our usual tendency is to be a little bit more meek and mild. We have a lot of empathy. We tend to keep kind of quiet and subdued. A lot of feng shui practitioners lack fire energy and the ability to project. Now, I feel that part of my calling is to give visibility to this profession, having my TV background. Now, how long have you been practicing feng shui? Longer than I knew what it was. <laughs> like many of you, you know, anyone listening, you might say, well, these are things that I've known since a little, little child. A lot of what I do is awaken within people. Yes, this is something that I do. I remember doing this as a child and then honing in on these natural abilities that we all have. So I've been practicing a form of feng shui almost my entire life, but I didn't start picking up books on feng shui until I went to university <laughs> and okay. knew there was a whole section on it. And, you know, I had to blow the dust off of a lot of it because, you know, that was in the 90s. Feng shui had its heyday in the Western world in the 70s. And so a lot of my fellow practitioners, a lot of my teachers, they had somewhat of a feng shui awakening in the 70s. You'll, you'll find a lot of books and materials out during that time. A little bit quietly, some more hit the scene in the 90s. And now we're seeing a big resurgence. I feel a big resurgence of material out there. So that's when I started, and that was, I'm going to age myself, well, <laughs> big time, but that was at the beginning of the internet. So before I even had a, a Google to Google, <laughs> that was, I meant going to the library and stumbling across books. And I, you know, I always was an artist yeah. growing up. I was always in advanced art classes and I recognized that I would produce work better in certain conditions in a certain environment. Okay. And I also recognize through art my intuition and ability to capture energy and put it into a piece of art. Right. And when I got into college, that meant, you know, hitting the university library and looking into art and seeing where it came from and then stumbling upon, oh, wait, feng shui is actually, you know, it's not really as far enough a concept as I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 
as previously stated, you're a feng shui master. What's involved and how does one become a master of feng shui and garner that title? Yeah, so I'll say that, again, I'm, I'm reluctantly calling myself a feng shui master, but there are courses out there that say, you know, initially when I went into advanced certification, I thought, well, you know, how do I take what I've learned and become a feng shui master? And there are courses that you can take out there and, you know, they're on Udemy and they're free courses and that type of thing. And that did not sit very well with me. I feel like feng shui master is something that you earn, right? Something that you are, you don't really call yourself. It's something that you are, it's a name that you are given. Yes. My, my trainers in feng shui, they train directly under the the grandmaster professor Lin Yun, the grandfather of Western feng shui. And so my lineage is very tight to the source. And I refer to my teachers as master, having that direct lineage. And if you get into researching, it has a lot to do with the lineage and who you learn from. And also, I think it has to do a lot with the humbleness of it. And I think the same thing goes with my shamanic friends too. I I practice a lot of shamanism in what I do, but I don't call myself, I have not earned shamanism. Shamanism right. is something that you grow into, become it's who you are, although okay. you practice it. So I don't know if that made it more confusing for you or not. <laughs> but I'm not saying that people shouldn't take the feng shui master courses if that resonates with you. Yeah. I just think it is something you should sit with for a while. Okay. And you know, just as it is with entering any formal education, research who you're learning from and see if they resonate with you. Just like I said, classical feng shui, compass feng shui did not resonate with me. I found my teachers, you know, personally met them. Usually my teachers just appear to me. Yeah. (laughs) And that's how I know when you ask for your teachers, they appear into your sphere. A lot of my students say they have found me through dowsing, one of them holding her dowsing crystal above a map and it landed right on the Tampa Bay area. And she researched Tampa Bay and feng shui and found the intrinsic school of feng shui. (laughs) So I, I find I get a lot of stories like that where students will say, you know, you just appeared when I was a teacher. Well, as they say, Mm -hmm. when the student is ready, the the teacher appears, right? That is the saying. Yeah. 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 So that really holds true. I think it's something that you you should give some thought before you commit to any program like that. And I'm not discounting, maybe there's a lot of merit in taking the master courses because there might be some secrets in there, but they should be very highly revered and it's, you know, remove the commercialism. Yeah. Like keep the equity in the secrets and the, the regard. Right, right. So Um, what are some of the differences then between a feng shui master and a feng shui consultant? So I am also a feng shui consultant. That is the same. Although I have trained dozens of others to become consultants. I would say that's the difference. Feng shui consultant can be a feng shui master and vice versa. And I think that comes personally too. That's what's really great about feng shui is we can oftentimes collaborate together because our gifts and our line of work can be very differently nuanced. Okay. So I find myself easily able to collaborate with others as a consultant. But a consultant is just that. A consultant is a practitioner who you can call upon professionally to come assist you with your home, your workplace, with your own energy. I think we're very much, I do call myself an intuitive designer because I love that aspect of work as well. But we are very akin to holistic and I, I shouldn't say health, but the holistic lifestyle of more like Reiki or chiropractor or acupuncture, because when we're doing something aesthetically different within a home, it is to, to activate energy or to redirect energy. There is something behind every decision that we do. In my line of work, I refer to it as a co-creation process. So my consulting process is very much helping others awaken and align with themselves. And I co-create with them their space to help them walk into their best 
life. It's a collaborative process. It is a collaborative process and it's eye-opening and creative and fun and it speaks to everything at the core of me, hopefully to more people out there. But I am finding a lot of my clients when I meet with them, I don't get out my red pen. I don't go all year. <laughs> Look what you've done. My favorite thing to do is walk into someone's home and to point out the things, the decisions that they've made using their own intuition and intent and point out to them the feng shui good things that they're doing. Uh-huh. And so it's, and it's really quite amazing. I, I truly believe that everybody has it within them to, to live this lifestyle that helps you navigate, you know, these adversities a little better. So it's, it's like a positive reinforcement thing, pointing out the good and then working backwards to fix the things that you see that don't fit. Yes, that's my preference. Right. My preference is that, and you'll find, and that may or may not resonate with listeners out there, but you'll find that's the way I prefer to focus on the positive. I don't like to put any energy into the negative. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I don't want to, you know, just sway anyone from learning further, you know, Chinese astrology, but you know, there's, there are some things like learning when a client asks me, I want to know an unfavorable direction for me to work or sleep in. I'm not going to tell them. (laughs) I'm not going to tell them their unfavorable direction because words matter. Yes. Matter. And sometimes things, I mean, aside from knocking out a wall and redoing a house totally (laughs) or rotating your house in a circle all the time, you know, that's impossible. And And while I don't get stuck on the negative, I think some people do. And you're not, you're not helping them get started out on the right foot. I like to keep it simple. You know, it's the simplest way of, of doing this work is my preference. So it's easy to integrate for everybody. And so they don't become, you know, codependent on me. Hey, Lisa, I need you. you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, which I I love and I keep those doors open, but I want to empower others to be able to make it a part of their life. For sure. Lisa, what's the name of your business and how did you come up with the name? Oh, (laughs) good question. I love coming up with names of businesses, by the way, but coming up (laughs) with mine was very, very hard. The name of my consultancy is Cloud9 Feng Shui. Okay. And I chose Cloud9 because in Feng Shui, the number nine is a highly auspicious number. And it means completion. It's, it's very heavenly, very lucky. The number nine, a lot of our rituals are based around the number nine. And so just starting from that place, nine being my lucky number, yeah. that's a, nine is a number that's always been used in, in all of my, you know, how we all are birthed with numbers that we're attracted to. Yeah. Nine was one of mine, you know, my sports team numbers were either always adding up to nine, you know, 27 was always one of my favorite sports numbers that I wore is like jerseys in my email. My personal emails always use the number nine for some reason. And it's just one of my like angel numbers that always appeared to me. So I started with the number nine. Yeah. And then the feeling is the most important aspect of feng shui and that feeling of comfort and security. So cloud nine, that feeling of being on cloud nine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I birthed Cloud9 Feng Shui. And then the intrinsic school of Feng Shui. So my partner and I in the school, when we co-founded it again, we really were thinking, what is the name that resonates the best with bringing the two of us together in this process? And we talked a, a bit about like, what do we really believe and what is it that we want to instill in our in our students? And what it was, was we both always lived a Feng Shui lifestyle inside and out at the okay. core. We integrated it before we were even, you know, out of the closet as feng shui practitioners. (laughs) We integrated it into everything that we do. And that is where intrinsic came from. Okay. And so it's something, and again, you know, luckily he shares in my, the practices and schools of thought that I follow and being able to simplify it in a way for our students and our clients to teach them how to live intrinsically inside and out feng shui. Love it. Thank you. What is the feng shui? Now I may botch this word, ba- bagua map. <laughs> bagua, yes. Okay, got it. Um, Good. 
Look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, what I I'm, say. I impress myself. <laughs> yes, you should impress yourself. Yeah. So there's other words. So for Bagua, there's Pakwa, there's other pronunciations of it. Bagua yeah. is the Western way to say it. And it is an energy template or right. an energy map that every feng shui practitioner uses in assessing the energy quadrants or areas within any space. Now, when I was growing up, I can always remember my dad telling me that you never, his belief was you never place the foot of the bed facing the door entering the bedroom. Mm -hmm. This, of course, was his Scottish superstition related to being carried out in a coffin. I did notice, though, that the bed and bedroom are an important part in feng shui and Mm -hmm. the bed being in the commanding position. Is this similar thinking to what my dad's superstition way of thinking is? Absolutely. Yes. And and it's just the same, probably comes from the same methodology and called a different, (laughs) right. Called a different thing. Yeah. So in every culture, a lot of the ancient practices are affirmed in different ancient cultures. And that is the reason why that is one of the reasons why you don't want your feet facing out the door. The other is the rush of energy. Okay. Especially if you're at the end of a hallway or directly in front of another door. If you're thinking back to the concept of flow, you're going to have rushing energy hitting you. And if you're a sensing person. And even when you're not, well, obviously, you know, even when we're not awake, there are senses that are turned yes. on and you're going to feel that rush of energy and you're not going to feel safe yep. and it's going to disturb your sleep. So that's the the basic reason affirmed in, you know, your father's Scottish lineage. And yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, I can always remember that growing yeah. up. You cannot have the foot of the bed facing the door. That's just, it's a no, no. Yes. So as practitioners, then we work to ways to mitigate or redirect that energy if we can't find a better wall for the better. better right. Position. But what do you do if you can't find a better wall? So if you can't find a better wall, there's practical, what I say, you know, everyday household things that you can do. So think about ways to block that energy. Yeah. An easy way to do that would be a foot bench or okay. a storage bench that you can put okay. your bed. With the intention to, and really press it up against the bed to give you security against the wall, that will immediately help you feel more secure. It would also help mitigate that like direct hit to your body. Right. Okay. So that's that's a practical modern feng shui way to do it. But we also work with crystals as well to help mitigate and redirect energy flow. So there's, there's always, if there's one method a client doesn't like, we can always refer to another. Right. Okay. You've got lots of tools in the toolbox to choose from. Yes, you have to, because everybody's so different and unique and particular. Yeah. Particular. Yeah. and, And especially why not in a modern world? Yeah. Would you say that implementing feng shui into the home has a direct effect on the person living there? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we talk about the quantum energy and everything being energy, and I I don't think you'll find many, by the way, just as a side note, I don't think you'll find many feng shui practitioners that focus in on the quantum of it, but I do. (laughs) Right. But when you think of everything containing an energy and in feng shui, we deal with life force energy. Okay. And our spaces, therefore, are an extension, often a mirror representation of our internal. And so there is a direct relationship. And I'll tell you a funny story. Do we have sure. Okay. Yeah. So last week, I felt a bit of stagnation in some projects, and I was very, very excited about them. One of them, I'm designing a fireplace for a client and another, you know, interior design project, but my creativity was fizzling out. And I, you know, had conversations. I talked with my dad a lot. He's up in Maryland. I said, dad, you know, I'm just, where did my creativity go? Like it's, it was just dampened. And so I thought back, like sometimes, you know, it's like a hair cutter forgets to cut their own hair. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. I have been neglecting my feng shui a little bit. So I came home and I want to say like, sometimes we become nose blind to our own environments and we don't even notice things because we're just so used to the space in which we live. And just all the distractions in life. Like I have two small children. Well, I took a look at my creativity gua within the bagua energy map and our bathroom happens to be in that area which is fine you know bathrooms happen you have to have them yes 
<laughs> but one rule in feng shui is to, and my kids are actually very good at following feng shui rules, by the way. It's very easy. <laughs> um, they're good about keeping the toilet lid down. <laughs> which and, is important. Which is important. We like to keep the door closed. So energy is not going down the drain. Right. Well, guess what I was missing by the side of my toilet next to a shelf that I had was a little, little dot on the floor and I had been dismissing it. I thought it was a little pool of water from like the kids splashing in the bathtub, but I was like, wait a minute. I never saw that before. Came back and noticed it was there again. Well, it turns out I had a leak in my creativity flaw and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. I'm having an energetic leak in my creativity. So now I have a new toilet, long story short. And I do feel a lot better <laughs> about, That's about things. And, you know, it, it's interesting things like that, you know, that I find in client, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, I guess they're kind of like case studies in a way for me, if you're looking at it scientifically, but when we're working, you know, they can even say, Hey, you know, I have like these weird issues going on with my eyes and I'll look at the area that correlates with their eyesight. And sure enough, there's a crack in the window. And so these things happen more often than they don't. There's a woman, one of my friends in the Feng Shui Guild who has a client that every time her daughter goes away for college, her house, um, the pipes bring a leak. Oh, highly emotional. So there is, it's, I can't, you know, dismiss it as just a random with the right. amount of occurrences that I've known and experienced in life and, and, it, and have heard reaffirmed so many times. So there is a direct connection to our space and ourselves, our inner selves, our, you know, our spiritual selves, our bodies. Yeah. So our physical bodies as well. I feel it's very important to have all of these spiritually, physical body and our space in tip top tune, you know, check in. For sure. Yeah. Are there any rules or taboos in feng shui, things you should always or never do? Yes. So I just mentioned one, always keep your toilet lid down. Yeah. Make sure your drains are in working order. Super important, you know, especially if you're feeling like an energy leak in, a, in an area of your life and, you know, consult with someone on where this may be occurring to see if there's a direct correlation and how it could be fixed. So that would be one. I would say another one would be, you mentioned the command position for yep. your bed. Yep. That's another one. So okay. it's preferable to have a solid wall and a headboard right. behind you for that safety and security. You know, sometimes it's not possible, so we can look at it a little bit further. That would be another rule. So you always want to have visibility from where you are sleeping, from okay. where you're lying in your head is to the entrance. And also when you're working, the way that your desk is positioned. Yeah. Man position is also equally important. It doesn't matter if you're working in a home space. It doesn't matter if you're working in a cubicle. Most of us are working from home nowadays. Yeah. So it's important that you have visibility of the entrance into the space in which you're working. And if it's not possible because of, you know, you're in a shared space, maybe your office is a part of your great room <laughs> Yeah. or your living room or, you know, your dining room, then you can use a simple mirror or you can go on Amazon and get a clip on to your desktop or your laptop so that you can see behind you who okay. may be coming in. So that's one thing. Command position has so much to do with the uh, amount of rest that we can get, productive rest. Right. Rest is productive and how productive we are at work and our focus. Now, if you are not able to see the main entrance, then you're missing out on opportunities. Super, super important. You're missing out on opportunities and you might be ignoring some sort of threat to hmm. success. Interesting. Yeah. Are there any standout products or objects which are used in feng shui design? Mm, yes. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier a feng shui crystal. Yeah. I love them. They're prismatics. Rothsky does one, but they're also on Amazon. You can buy them in glass or metaphysical shops. And they're prismatic cut crystals that you often see used in windows. And those are very powerful feng shui cures in terms of calling in energy to a space and radiating the energy. They cast beautiful rainbows and to stand in those rainbows is first, you know, just very fun, even for yeah. a dog. <laughs> if, if we're thinking about the energies and the chakras within all of us, it's also a way to, you know, align and attune to the colors of the chakras. That is a feng shui cure in itself and adding a red silk string 
to okay. it is important. Red being lucky okay. in terms of the traditional, in a traditional sense. And right. the, act, the act of, you know, stringing your crystal, you can buy them already strung. You'll find that when you buy them like that, they'll actually be at a length of a multiple of nine, either nine inches 18. Okay, yeah, because you said nine is a lucky nine. number in a feng right. shui. So, yes. Right. Got okay. it, Brad. Yeah, so you would want to hang it within the area of your life, whether it be romance, career, life journey, so on and so forth. You would hang your crystal with the intention to activate a call in that energy and nurture it. Now, you worked in corporate before becoming a feng shui master. What was that transition like for you out of corporate into entrepreneurship and the feng shui world full-time? It was meant to be. I think that my 20 years in corporate, 20 plus years in corporate was a training for me to be the best entrepreneur I could be and finding a way to develop my businesses in a way that they could be successful and striving. So I took everything from corporate that I learned and use on a daily basis. And that was being used towards corporations. Yeah. (laughs) multi-million dollars corporations. And I use it for my greater good in, in the, you know, in the companies that I developed in terms of marketing. Right. So that's one thing. And I, I spoke about as practitioners, sometimes practitioners, when they want to become professionals, get lost and are challenged with that fire energy and getting visible within the world to be able to make a living that they would incorporate. And so I feel strongly called uh, initially when I started out, I, I and I, I do cater my businesses more towards entrepreneurs in general, especially female. Mm-hmm. Part of my training, and I do have male students as well, part of my training within the Intrinsic School of Feng Shui is geared towards using all of the methods that I've learned and implemented in my own business to help become successful. And so it was a natural progression for me. Yeah. And it just felt more like home. So I was finally like, okay, this makes sense. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where all these journeys were leading and pointing towards. What inspired the decision to leave corporate though? Like what, 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 Um, what triggered you, I guess, to, to say, you know, um, I've had enough of this. The universe universe nudged me as it always does. I'm very humorous ways. (laughs) (laughs) So I was merged out of corporate and given a severance. And I, you know, initially thought, yeah, I'm going to get back in, you know, I'm going to put out my resumes. As it turns out, I was, you know, 25 weeks pregnant and I was getting some great interviews and in talking with the recruiters and getting in there, I did not feel I was taken seriously. And it was kind of like, I was being asked to choose, are you a marketer or are you a leader? Are you a this or are you a that? And that didn't feel right to me. Yeah. I didn't feel like I had to like, why do I have to choose and show up as a fraction of who I am? Why can't I just, you know, be who I am and bring what I know to help everybody? <laughs> yeah, be authentic, Lisa. Yeah, be, yeah, this is me. This is what I can bring yeah. and I can help you when I want to. And so I was hitting a lot of roadblocks. You know, my pregnancy progressed on and on and I started to feel overwhelmed. So like, oh my gosh, I don't have a job lined up and the clock was ticking, boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, I think I told you earlier, I had my son accidentally in the driveway. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't even make it to the birthing center. It was, um, it was like the universe was telling me, hello, it was the biiggest super moon of 2019. And it was the probably the easiest birth in history, (laughs) but (laughs) it was a very like primal, you know, moment for me on my own, catching the baby and looking at my perfect child, looking right back at me, like, Hey, you are powerful. You can do anything and, and don't try to fit yourself into this, you know, hold that long. And it was that moment, you know, that I had such an easy recovery. Three weeks later, I was meeting with my friend whom I started intrinsic with and completing my studies to up my certification. And it was very, very easy. It was like a light switch. And so then I was like, hey, you know, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. I was a little hesitant about yeah. like coming out of a closet as, you know, feng shui practitioner. And then it was kind of just like ripping off the bandaid. I realized as soon as I showed up as who I really am, then everything just flowed towards me. Beautiful. What would you say lights you up or inspires you the most about the work you do? 
I would say what lights me up the most is the relationships. It, it all comes back to relationships with me of who I'm helping, of who I meet in projects, and the affirmations that there's a greater energy and thing connecting all of us is the thing that lights me up the most. It's like going on an Easter egg hunt every day. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I would say recognizing and following life's synchronicities and it's not you know everybody has this power within them I'm hesitant to say I have a a superpower but it is something that comes very easily to me that I can feel and sense energy and receive very clear messages on how to help guide others towards their next best step whether it be for business um, you know what they need to do for their business or their home or their family, or I feel that's my superpower is, and I'll throw another word out there, not to make this a longer, longer podcast. So in human design, I'm a projector, which okay. is, takes on the form of being a guide. And I feel that, you know, that's my superpower is to help and support others and guide them on their journey. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? Success. The first thing that came to my mind is freedom, like not just, you know, like living in a free country or anything, but just like freedom of being success is an abundance of choice and expression and being able to use your time the way that you want. What was a turning point in your life and how did that affect you, Lisa? Turning point in my life? I've had many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say my, the biggest turning point for me was moving to Florida from Maryland to the Northeast. And I just was feeling like this big, strong nagging. It was my intuition. I've learned that's how my intuition talks to me. Okay. <laughs> Almost like, you know, like a child tapping you on the shoulder and says, Hey, 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 you know, Hey mom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's that kind of feeling. And I was getting this strong nudge. Like I was receiving pamphlets to move the Florida, you know, I passed over them, you know, I passed yeah. schools in Florida and that type of thing, because I was hesitant to leave my family. Of course. But so many things just kept appearing, Florida, Florida, Florida. And I love, I love, love, love being like in a peninsula type near water. It really brings me joy. And that's my, you know, place to, to feel inner calm and peace and inspiration. So I took a break from school, went to Florida, you know, on like a, like a break with all plans to actually join friends in an apartment in New York city. Yeah. (laughs) And I just stayed. Wow. And I I was like, for a little bit, I was like a, like a couch surfer trying to extend my time (laughs) to make things work. And so I eventually planted roots and, you know, my parents were like, wow, they they were like, wow, we wish we did this when we were your age. It's a little risky, but it just, I felt like I had to follow the, you know, nagging nudge, nagging or else, you know, I did, I did leave to visit up north and to wrap up some things, you know, with school and, and family and grab, you know, get my cat from my parents. That type yeah. Of and while I was there, it just was like hardcore hitting me, go back, go back, go back. And in fact, I didn't know because I think this was before I had a cell phone, but the people that I didn't say goodbye to in Florida, they looked me up in the book and called and called and called and found me in Maryland and came up and brought me back down. <laughs> so it, there was, you know, the universe wanted me to be Yeah. There. I was going to say, if that's not a sign, I don't know what it is. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> you know, that was, that was more just like, oh, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. Yeah, See you later. Sure. So that was probably my biggest transformation and like the, you know, although there have been several, but that was my, you know, I'd say the, the big one, the big one. Yeah. yeah. Things up. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next group of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Creative. What would your friends, parents, siblings, closest friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? Resilient. That's the first one that comes to me. Resilient. Inspiring. Okay. Fun. Lisa, if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Trust themselves. What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? I'd say, I mean, love is the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Division. Entrepreneur life is? 
<laughs> roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, that's the word I use too. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from necessities, what's one thing you could not go without? I'd say I love my my cocoa drink I make every day. (laughs) What is your favorite stress reducing activity? Being by the water. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) That was a hard one. (laughs) (laughs) Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? My children. I was again, I was a reluctant mother. And when I had them and had my children, I I, they have taught me so much more than any teacher. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means to me being authentic in who you are. And you you mentioned lighting, you know, what lights you up. Yeah. Um, Empowerment is authentically being who you are and what lights you up and what you're here for in this journey. Okay. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Hmm. Good question. So one of the most important things I learned in this life is that things are not happening to me, they're happening for me. So, um, and I can't think of one specific moment, and it probably took me 40 years to learn this. <laughs> but, you know, I had fallen, you know, prey a lot to the, you know, things we hear in song lyrics and country music and all rock music and all of that, you know, the why me or why is this happening kind of thing. And someone once told me, you know, things are happening for me, not to me. And that changed the way I looked at anything that came into my path. It wasn't necessarily, you know, yeah, maybe it was an obstacle, but it wasn't necessarily bad. It was yeah. a nudge in a different direction. That's a huge mindset shift for sure. Huge. Yeah. What would you say is one of your biggest failures or we'll call it life lessons or teachable moments? And what did you learn from it? One of my biggest life lessons, I would say, hmm, I think I'm going to take this. I don't know if I want to go on a relationship level or in a career level, but maybe it applies to both. My biggest life lesson is what other people think of me does not define me in a relationship or work. Okay. So that, you know, that lesson has, has changed me. You know, that's a, that's again, that's a codependency. Yeah. And mindset shift there again too. What would you say are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? You got to like roller coasters a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be a good networker and have a great awareness of your circles. And now that includes virtual worlds as well. Yeah, yeah. You take a look at who you spend the most time with virtually and in person. And um, so that people skill, I think in corporate, they called it soft skills, but that doesn't quite equate to the value that could be there, knowing the value of the people that you interact with is important. And two, and we talked about it a few times, Brad, is just always being a life learner with your eyes wide open to figures that appear and taking that step to dive in a little deeper. Beautiful. What is the most entrepreneurial thing about you? Probably the most entrepreneurial thing about me is creating a new space for the profession that I'm in to help give visibility to the greater collection. What would you say is your personal motto? Personal motto is I feel like it's always been it sounds like sounds like Nike, but you know, let's go. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. Okay. What is one common myth about your profession that you would like to debunk? I think that, you know, if someone's practicing feng shui, it'll go against their religion. Or, yeah, I think that's the biggest one and that it's scary. (laughs) Do people really, is it that common that people really equate religion with feng shui? Yes. Really? I've, I've had people come up to me quietly in workshops, you know, they come with friends and they're like, I'm really not sure if I should be here. I feel like it goes against my religion. Wow. And feng shui, you know, historically has been something that's really not supposed to be talked about. Oh, and it okay. really was only held with the emperors. And so in China, you don't walk around saying, can I get a tour of your feng shui buildings? Uh, no, wow. you don't. You can't 
do that. It's not something that's like widely publicized or talked about. So there's this like mystique around it. And yeah, there's yeah. a mystique around it because it is a little bit, it is ethereal and esoterical, although, you know, a, an environmental study and there's lots of practicalities to it too. But, you know, people, it, it doesn't matter what your religion or your philosophies are, uh-huh. you know, again, feng shui is putting a word to something that is a language of right. the interrelation of, of energies. Okay. Lisa, if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? <laughs> you did such a great job with the questions, Brad, that, you know, I, there isn't anything that I felt like you didn't ask, but I feel like I I want to share too, you know, going back to the higher level studies sure. of feng shui, if you don't mind. Yeah, there, of course. Within the International Feng Shui Guild, there is a deeper level and recognition and designation. It's called red ribbon level. And that is something that I've earned. And it's something that any practitioner can earn if they go to the International Feng Shui Guild, there are requirements that you can check the boxes to see if you meet to be able to take a comprehensive exam of what you know of Feng Shui. And it's sort of like earning your, you know, I can't think of any other way to say it, but like a black belt in karate. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a comprehensive way to assess your understanding of feng shui and and so if there's people out there that are are looking to learn more i would i would invite them to start there or you know even google professionals that have that you know if they're looking for a consultant in their area or a virtual consultant check to see if they're red ribbon level and with the international feng shui guild that will tell you a lot about them i had no idea feng shui was so big i mean a feng shui guild wow we are you know i'll say in comparison to other guilds or organizations we are smaller but mighty and growing and we hope to grow and grow and you know especially help those practitioners around the world that are quietly practicing and feeling lost and alone or not able to take a full-fledged leap into their practice or consultancy and make a living. Yeah. Um, so we're, that's what we're here for. And going back to the importance of creating your circle and your relationships and your network, it's worth gold. For and, sure. you know, if you try to Google feng shui practitioners, professionals, and consultants, there's only several thousand in the entire world that you can Oh, wow. So, and you know, there's many more people who are practitioners and who are doing consultant work, but they're not, right. um, they're not visible. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lisa, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? <laughs> Pay attention to the signs earlier. You know, that like, you know, it shouldn't have taken 27 times for me to get the flyer about <laughs> the neon signs about moving to Florida. I should have, I could have, not should have, but I could have taken All that right. and trusted myself a little bit, you know, a little bit better knowing my intuition. And we all are strong enough to do what we want to do. Well, sometimes it takes that two by four in the back of the head from the <laughs> universe before you realize, wait a minute, I guess I should do this. Doesn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, what's we don't listen to the whispers or we don't really, pay attention literally to is. It. Yeah, it'll, like something will smack you in the face and if yeah. you're not paying attention then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so wait to see what's next. <laughs> Lastly, Lisa, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? It would sound like, Who's ready to step into the best vision of their best life? Beautiful. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and educate us on feng shui and share a bit about your story and your journey into that world. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here and, and share your story. And I'm, I'm happy and honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you so much, Brad. It was an honor for me to be here. And again, I'm a big fan and, and big supporter of everyone in this community and everyone knocks my socks off every day. So I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to see what's next. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so much. much. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. So I appreciate the support. I mean, that's that's what community is all about is supporting one another. So I truly appreciate that. And I appreciate you. My pleasure. You too. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Lisa Alvin. She is a feng shui master and quantum energy alignment practitioner. Thank you so much, Lisa. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you.
Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.